Hello and welcome to the Society of Critical Care Medicine's iCritical Care podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ludwig Lin. Today we will be speaking with Brenda Pun about ICU liberation. Dr. Pun, DNP, RN, ACMP, is the program clinical manager at Vanderbilt University Medical Center in Nashville, Tennessee. She was a member of the ICU Liberation Moore Foundation Steering Committee and played an instrumental role in the design for quality improvement strategy for the ICU Liberation campaign. The ICU Liberation ABCDEF Bundle Improvement Collaborative includes teams in 77 U.S. ICUs, 69 adult and 8 pediatric. Participating hospitals work with a team of leading national and regional experts to improve outcomes for patients and families by reliably implementing the newly modified bundle. Dr. Pun served as a mentor and coach to her own team, as well as others in the collaborative. Welcome, Dr. Pun. Thank you. It's great to be here. Thank you so much for joining us in person so that we could discuss this really exciting project. I think what I would love to know is um, how this um, has gone for you. If you could tell me and our audience more about um, how the project got started and uh, what the uh, current status is, that'll be great. Yeah, I would love to do that. So the ABCDF bundle was a couple years ago, there was a movement within the Society of Critical Care Medicine, and then there was a generous generous grant from the Gordon and Betty Moore Foundation from the California area to support the idea of how do we reliably and successfully implement this bundle into everyday ICU practice. And, And the desire for the Society of Critical Care Medicine to really lead lead us in our understanding of what that implementation looks like. And so the grant was really structured around a better understanding of the implementation strategies needed to successfully implement the bundle as a, as a whole, and not just the individual elements, but implemented as a whole in diverse settings, in settings that have had some of those elements in place, some settings that have never heard of those elements, and across the nation. So from coast to coast and um, in diverse settings, so in community settings, in university settings, in urban settings, in rural settings, and just really understanding what can we learn from this groups of hospitals that are units that get together and share their story as they're, as they're experimenting with how to implement this? And then how can we take what we've learned from that experience and equip them to disseminate it locally in their own spheres of influence, whether that's within their hospital system or whether that's just within the walls of their own hospital to other units? And how can they also teach the rest of the nation and around the world how to implement this, the successes, the barriers, the hurdles, the things that really were key for this to happen and move forward? So that's really the origins of the liberation campaign and the implementation project of this bundle that started about a year and a half ago um, in, in the project that we're working on now. Wow, that's great. You have a lot of energy, so I am sure you were ready for this. Um, how did you pick the, the various ICUs that started the project together with you? Yeah, it was a really extensive um, search for them, but also... 
we wanted as many ICUs as possible to know about this opportunity so that we could inform them of the idea that this is a really big deal of implementing the bundles. So we wanted to get them excited about it, and we also wanted to recruit that diversity that I mentioned before. So there were social media advertisements about the campaign and the application process. There were in the society's newsletters, there were various advertisements. At the Congress meeting, there were advertisements. And also, we really locked arms and partnered with our with our sister group, the American Association of Critical Care Nurses. So there was dissemination advertisement that was done through AACN as well. And that was really a great opportunity for us to partner and use that audience which overlaps with the audience that uh, that frequently receives SCCM news and alerts. And it was an opportunity to really cast a wide net. And we were surprised we got way more applications than we had the grant funding to support. And so it was a very difficult process to go through and decide which sites um, can participate and which that we can encourage and say, not yet, May- maybe in the next phase or generation of the project. So that that was really one exciting part of that journey and unexpected, but you take those opportunities, was that we received applications from pediatric units. And that was unexpected. It was intended to be an adult collaborative. And so we wanted to seize that opportunity. And we accepted a small cohort of pediatric ICUs that are also kind of working as their own mini collaborative within the larger collaborative that are learning what it looks like to implement this bundle and the concepts and the the evidence behind this bundle and developing evidence to support it also in the pediatric um, setting. So that's been really exciting. There's a small group of, I think, seven to nine um, pediatric ICs that are involved, and that's been really exciting because we're we're learning even more than we set out to learn to begin with, and that was was a great opportunity. Well, I'm fascinated by the difficulty of doing something like this in terms of doing a collaborative, trying to introduce this bundle. Like you said, some ICUs might have done some of it, maybe not all of it. And uh, I recently did a podcast conversation with Dr. John Marshall from Canada, who was talking about the need for more collaborative research, uh, more global collaborations. And we were talking about how it's... uh, quite difficult to to really sort of socially engineer these situations mm-hmm. where people put the project before their you know own I, I guess needs or um, their own priorities so just out of interest maybe you could uh, describe uh, some of the ways you've uh, managed to um, maybe head those situations off or how to problem solve Absolutely. So I think one really exciting thing of being involved in collaboratives is the opportunity for networking and and for sharing resources. And that was fundamental as we started this project to our desire that we get these sites linked together. But it's difficult to link folks together that are cross-country in different time zones that have units that look different and they have their own unit-based culture or regional culture that looks a little bit different. So we really tried to create multiple different platforms for that networking and collaboration among our sites. So we wanted to utilize the 
social social media on one on one hand, but by that I mean creating virtual places for that communication and, and resource sharing to happen. So we created a website where virtual resources or resources can be shared virtually. So if someone creates a great welcome to the ICU packet that includes teaching family members and patients about various things that will be happening and includes information about the bundle so we also teach them that language. What a great way to share that with other participants in the collaborative. So there's virtual rooms or virtual platform for sharing those resources, uh, for sharing them with one another so that we don't reinvent the wheel in our own unit and, and we can take ideas that someone else has successfully used that's been great for them and we can adapt it and adopt it for our own uses. And then we also... There's value in that face-to-face time. So we had a few regional meetings, and so in, in the three regions, we had an east, a midwest, and then a west coast regions that we divided our groups in, about 20 in each. And in those, we've had two regional meetings and then a more one, one nationwide meeting where our sites came together to do a lot of information sharing, a lot of group learning face-to-face. But really, the bulk of that has been sharing their successes and challenges with one another and coming up with really creative ways to do group sharing among amongst a large group that's effective and time efficient and we found that to be really well received among the the teams because not only do they need to prepare for that but the things that they prepare for coming to share with one another it equips them to then share those things within their own institution. And part of the challenge of doing something like this is making sure that you let the rest of your hospital know that you're doing it and bragging on yourself when you're doing it well and saying, we're a part of something bigger. We're advancing things at our hospital. Getting that information into that senior administ- those senior administrators because that's the the acknowledgement that needs to get to them. Um, So those face-to-face meetings were for information sharing, but they also were for equipping those people to be ready to share within their own institution. So it was a bit of a training and a sharing, an opportunity to share as well as a training them to know how to talk about what they've done and to talk about it in quick, short ways so that they can get in that C-suite and share about this. And and that's how you get more resources to keep doing it, right? Right. That's the... That's the challenge. And so those have been some ways that we have done it. Um, there's listservs. There's, there are monthly coaching calls. And in all of those coaching calls, it was really a great opportunity. They all featured different units that were working on an element that we were talking about in that coaching call. So it may be that this particular coaching call is about early mobility. And so in that call, we would have some sites that are doing that particularly well, that have had some successes. They share their story, and other places are able to not just hear a national expert talk about early mobility, but then to hear one of their peers talk about their strategy to do that, to get it into the water, into the culture of their particular units. And that's really great opportunity to learn. And, oh, we look just like them, and we can do that same thing. That's a great idea. We need to think about doing that as well. So those are different ways. It's a beast, though, trying to get all these people on the same page and learning from one another and multiple platforms for that. So there's challenges with it, but I think there's huge rewards. That sounds great. How did you guys figure out how to do this? 
Well, the Society of Critical Care Medicine has some great resources available with staff members that have done collaboratives in the past and as well as consulting with other collaborative or Institute for Healthcare Improvement experts that can come and help us. Uh, Various faculty have been involved in either multi-site research projects or collaboratives of their own that they have been involved separately. And so bringing all of that knowledge together really helps to form something like this. Got it. Did you really emphasize to the various institutions involved that uh, the drivers for this should be a multidisciplinary team? Absolutely. And the, the one thing that I would say was really important, that we taught that, well, as part of the application process, it had to be what I'm going to use, a different, slightly different phrase than you use, I'm going to call it an interprofessional team. And so we started laying the foundation of using that language from the application forward, that to these face that they had to have a core team, and then attendance to the face-to-face meetings had to be interprofessional. So it couldn't just be physicians or couldn't just be nurses. And they needed at least a third member of their team that was representing another profession too. Because this bundle demands, like really, honestly, all of our ICU care right now demands collaboration and teamwork with our interprofessional team. And so we wanted to emphasize the importance of that and also knowing that success hinges on the team being involved as not just our initial success, but sustainability, that really it has to be disseminated among various professionals that are at the team. So we taught that from application forward. In our initial meetings, we taught about what the an interprofessional team was. We shared with them series of videos that we created to teach the team how to do rounds, to interprofessional rounding, and how to communicate with one another. And we did uh, various other training activities that had to do with teamwork and what that meant and how to, how to really form and change the models that they were using in their own settings to foster that interprofessional relationship. Can I get you to share with our audience the, the subtle differences with the term interprofessional? Absolutely. So I think that when we, when we talk about an interprofessional care model, that that means that we are inviting um, in, as part of our team and acknowledging that there are multiple professionals that are represented there that have their own backgrounds, training, and expertise. So we have physicians, we have nursing, we have rehabilitation therapy, whether that's our OTs, PTs, we have respiratory therapy, we have our pharmacists. And for us, various places, we have different other members of our teams. We have social workers that are regularly a part of that team. And we like to kind of push the envelope, too, to say that we've got to we have a family member that's a part of that team, family or significant friend that's a part of that team, that that team is represent and the patient of course are are all working together for a for a similar goal the well-being and advancement of this patient that we have and uh, that all of those team members have value to what they're 
their thoughts and suggestions and shared decision-making on the patients, on decisions about the patient's care and plan of care moving forward. And in shared decision-making of the interprofessional team, it's group consensus. It's, it's relying on the individual experts and valuing their expertise in their profession rather than a model where we have a team leader that um, historically for us in the ICU has always been a physician. So this team leader that gathers information from consults, kind of from these various professionals, and then makes a decision for the team and says, great, thank you for your input, and um, let's let's move this forward. Let's thank you, you know, thanks for telling me what all's going on and we'll do this now. And the interprofessional model, team model, is more of shared decision making. What do we think is best? What do you think is best? And and often um, involves negotiation, consensus, moving forward, but really respecting and valuing and inviting those those skills and knowledge and talent and expertise from the very multiple professionals. That's very enlightening. Thank you. Um, let's talk about the status of this project. Um, how has it gone? What are the successes that you've seen? What are some of the challenges and some of the barriers that you've seen that you did not expect? Right. So we are a year and a half into the project, uh, maybe even a little bit more than that. And it is rounding out. We extended it. We were able to extend our funding so that we could keep the teams going, providing a little bit more teaching and coaching until this spring. So it will end um, in April early May. The whole collaborative will end at that point. Um, We hope that the work that the sites are doing will continue and be sustained for a long time. And so we're in in the latter half of the project at this point with the, the work, the implementation work that all the sites have done. And that's a really exciting place to be. And it's a bit challenging at that particular place because now the discussions are really formulated around sustainability. So there's always a lot of excitement when you join something new and you try something new. And this bundle is 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 mammoth. Um, sometimes it's it's unlike any bundle that we've talked about before because it has six individual components that are bundles in and of themselves sometimes, it seems. And so it's really much larger than our central line bundles or our VAT bundles that we've talked about for years. Um, it's much bigger than that. So it has many moving parts to it. And we see that many of our sites, we, we want to encourage them of how to move forward with sustainability at this phase of what does it look like to keep these balls rolling, to keep this enthusiasm, to keep it um, not just because they were participating in the collaborative, but because this is now a part of the way they do things. And I like to say that the ABCDF bundle is wallpaper, and our project has been a redesign. We have wallpapered every room in every ICU with this. So it's the expectation that every patient gets this every day. Now, maybe today this doesn't, one component or another doesn't apply to the patient, but we looked at it and we asked ourselves, does it apply? Because it's the expectation that this is the bar for everybody, every, every person rolling in and rolling out of our ICUs. And so now 
we're in that sustainability place of looking forward, of keeping the balls rolling, helping them to work with their um, administrations as well as their teams to continue to do the reports on their progress, to, ha- to be able to do that on their own and not rely on the resources that were a part of the collaborative to keep those balls rolling. Now, some of the successes, it, it's been so fun to be a part of this collaborative and watch these hospitals that are at such different places when we start and to see their excitement and their doing things that they really didn't think were going to happen and believing, seeing this culture changes and behavior changes in their units. So we've seen tremendous success in many of the, of the ICUs that are involved of implementing with high compliance all the elements of the bundle some of the some of the hospitals hit the mark high compliance on every element of the bundle so the all or none idea that it's we're in this and we're 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 hitting on all six cylinders other ICUs struggle with various components of the bundle and their implementation of that that it really has worked tremendously well to get various components implemented with high compliance but others they struggle with and that has been a good challenge too because that's that's what we want to learn what are the hard parts of implementing this in various settings so some of the challenges around around it have been and I think this is root for all of us in critical care right now is information technology challenges so IT challenges in that we work with a variety of, of different electronic medical record systems. And when we want to track our progress and we want to communicate with one another on that, it's very difficult for interprofessionally us to see one another's charting. And in these various electronic medical record systems. And so some sites have really hit hurdles in that they're charting system isn't very friendly to facilitating this interprofessional conversation. So the nurses may say, we chart that regularly. And the doctors are saying, I don't have a clue where that is. Or the physical therapists are really outlining their plans for the patient in a real in-depth way, but there's no simple way it's communicated to the rest of the team. And the, the system, the charting system, seems to foster siloing of our communication. And instead of facilitating that, some sites have really tight and readily accessible advocates within IT. Some do not. And some are part of a smaller system where it's easier to change that the look of the screens to put things together because we want to talk about these things together. They're very synergistic. They're interconnected. Whereas others, it's a lot more complicated. So that's been one hurdle is, and I strongly encourage the audience that part of your team, if you're going to be implementing the A to F bundle, as I sometimes call it, if you're going to be implementing this, that you really, as one of your primary stakeholders in your committee meetings should be an IT specialist, that you really need to invite them in early in the process to say, here's what we need to do. Here's the why behind what we need to do it to help them to help raise it on their priority levels. And not only is that a really effective way for communicating one an- with one another on a patient-by-patient basis, but it's a very powerful way for us to see how we're doing 
And communicating our progress to the rest of our staff is really important. And we see in various collaborative projects and various quality improvement initiatives that giving feedback to your team that we're hitting the mark where we're bench even if you can benchmark with other units in your in your hospital system or within your own hospital that ability to say we're doing well or we're not doing well we're doing well in this one area but it seems we're dipping down what happened and oh somebody changed staffing and that got lost and you can readily intervene so that it's not a year later that you realize that got lost and so that that real partnership with having a good way to input things into the medical record but also to retrieve it for moving the progress forward, I, I would say it's been one big barrier for many of our institutions, mm-hmm. both retrieving the information as well as um, inputting it so that it fosters that collaboration. For the particular bundle elements, the barriers that we have seen, um, and I won't dive into each one of the elements, but in as large, the two letters at the end have um, seemed to be the big, biggest challenges. And so early mobility, that it's a really new idea to a lot of places. And there are many models for how to do early mobility, whether you have a mobility team that's nurse-led or this project is really led by your rehabilitation therapist or you you have available resources or you don't have available resources. And so we find that many of our units start at really different places and really different philosophies on the idea of early mobility and we've seen many of them struggle with that but we've seen huge successes we had one one participating group that have been really just walking their patients one great thing is they walk their first patient that was on a ventilator and every time someone walks a patient on the ventilator those nurses have to wear a gold medal for the day because it's that's great it signifies you know we are behind this and everybody's coming in and being a part of it and then we have other units that that really haven't done had that type of success that there are barriers to get over there and then the family component um so Mm -hmm. the f element of the bundle of what does it look like to engage and empower family members and what what are the ways that we can do that that um, invite them into the conversation that invite them to be a part of the team there have been really creative ways that sites have done this and drastically improved the presence of their families as well as the engagement of their families and then other sites struggle with that they have families that are miles away that work all day that can't be there that don't want to be there and staff that are just not even trained to talk to family that we really don't do a lot of training on our teams of how to have those conversations and how to invite the family into care you know how to say would you like to do this can you would you like to help us with this let me teach you how to do this and so some some sites have really struggled with that but that's exciting because we're learning from that we're learning from the successes and the barriers Mm mm-hmm well, wow, that's really interesting. One other thing I wanted to ask you about um, challenges, successes, is um, has there been any uh, impact in terms of different types of hospital administrations, different types of hospital settings, you know, teaching hospital versus a community hospital? 
Could you maybe comment on that? Absolutely. So I, I mentioned earlier that we divided the groups up in, uh, or we wanted a diversity of teams to be a part of this collaborative. So we were able to really even give them data back to say, Here, here's how you're performing compared to other teaching hospitals that are like you in your area, your region of the country. And here's how you're performing compared to community hospitals in your area. And so one thing that we have done is try to give them that feedback so that they can self-benchmark against they don't know the names of the hospitals, but they know they don't know exactly whose reports these are. But they know that here's how we're doing compared to others like us. And that's important because that's what other people in that C-suite, in the administrators, that's what they want to know is how, how are you benchmarking? How are we benchmarking compared to other people like us? Um, sure, maybe we think we'll always do better than X, but what about other people like us? We want to make sure that we're holding our own or we don't have the resources like such a hospital would have. And so how do we compare with other hospitals that have resources like what we have? So we have done that. Um, and tried to also in the platforming of conversations or have communication conversations among the teams of being able to link them to one another so that they they know one another they know who the other teaching hospitals are who the other community hospitals I will say with various elements of our bundles that sometimes and for the barriers that I mentioned earlier sometimes we see that our medium-sized to large-sized community hospitals are more successful in their implementation than any others uh, in that are participants. And we think, it's pure hypothesis here, uh-huh. we think that's because, and what we hear from them is, is they don't have those large system-wide barriers that mm-hmm. other hospitals have, that mm-hmm. they can change that electronic medical record more easily mm-hmm. than, say, an ICU in a large teaching hospital could. Mm-hmm. Because every ICU in that whole teaching hospital has to agree on what the ICU interface will look like in the electronic electronic medical record. Right. And so changing things sometimes in a larger system is more difficult because you need consensus from so many other stakeholders. Right. And... The other part of your question was about administrators. So again, from the application process, hospital administrators had to be involved. And so as part of that application, the medical director and uh, the nursing director, the, um, the CNO and um, the CMO had to sign a letter of commitment that they were committing resources or whatever the collaborative would need to be a part of this. And they were given some expectation of what that would look like. So we've also tried to emphasize and teach our teams how to take the message back to those administrators and say, here's what we've done with your support and with your investment in us. Um, Whether that's financial investment, which some of them made to uh, help fund people, uh, staff members to come to the meetings or to fund some time for data collection, or whether that's just a vote of support and confidence that, you know, we're here for you. And taking those resources back, it's been really exciting. Some sites have invited their administrators onto the coaching calls to join Mm. the coaching calls, which I think was brilliant because they were sharing, uh, they were asked to share about their success in a particular area. And then in the coaching calls, lots of everybody gets to ask questions from them and, and it highlighted and spotlighted 
how well they were doing in this particular area and how other people want to know what they're doing. And that administrator was able to hear that and hear how highly valued and regarded their ICU because of this experience and this work that they were doing and then disseminated that to the rest of ICUs Mm -hmm. in their institution and said, I want everybody to be doing this. I want everybody to know about this. And really those are those are ways you know in addition to going with numbers and values of here's here's the ways that we're changing care and the ways that we're changing outcomes and lengths of stays and things like that taking that data to their administrator some of the ICUs that participants have been able to share their story of successes with their the newspaper or the magazine or the Um, news platform that Mm -hmm. their hospital system Mm -hmm. uses. And so they're the front pagers and their success stories. And I think those types of things really go all the way up to to, to administrators to see, here's our success people, Mm -hmm. and they're worth investing more in because look what they're doing. Mm -hmm. And those are various ways that they've engaged. We, in our last meeting, we also have invited um, administrators to come. Because we think that's really a part of sustainability moving forward. Sure. That, you know, this can only continue if there's continued support from the top. And so we want them to hear and see how their sites are doing and how big of a deal this is and how important really understanding the why behind what we've been doing in this collaborative. And we hope many of them are able to attend. Mm-hmm. Wow, that sounds that, that sounds very savvy and very empowering, actually. Next question for you is, what are some of the um, future directions you want this project to head? Absolutely. So I mentioned earlier that we're wrapping up the collaborative, um, this phase of the collaborative. I hope these hospitals stay in touch and they move forward. And the website that was created for IC Liberation will be in, enduring. And so it will continue. It's there. Those resources are there. The platform where the resource sharing is there. It's available for outsiders of the collaborative to access too and so that's there what's what's the URL so it is um, iculiberation.org great and that particular website is available to insiders and outsiders because it's it's part of our charge from the beginning was to make sure that this information was shared to others so that they can learn go and do likewise you know go and do what we have done or avoid what we tried and it didn't work you know learn from learn from uh, what we learned from and so those are available uh, to move forward and to move them into the next phase with their own individual stories and, and narratives for those particular ICUs then a next phase will be sharing and disseminating what we've learned on a um, more widespread way through let, uh, through manuscripts. So preparing the how we did it, what what was being done in this project, what tools were used, what did it look like, what did putting this together, so that we can help other collaboratives be successful. And then it, the next step will be sharing the results of the collaborative, what were the barriers, the facilitators, what worked, what didn't work, and uh, several other papers. There's, uh, we've, we've learned a lot about teamwork and collaboration along the way, and we hope to really share about that as well. And so a series of manuscripts are planned um, at the end of the collaborative moving forward. 
And then the next phase within the Society of Critical Care Medicine has been the development of an ICU Liberation Committee. And the, that committee is charged with creating multiple different platforms and avenues for equipping and disseminating what we're learning about the ABCDEF bundle. And that committee, its first meeting is today, so I'm not exactly sure all the things that will come from that, but it's a three-year committee that the society has invested in, um, being a really key and important, uh, playing an important role on taking this to the next step. That sounds great. We've talk so much about this, I actually won't be able to ask you about how it sort of collaborates with the Thrive Project, but I wanted to ask you a couple of questions about the way um, the healthcare staff is responding to this. We've been talking a lot within the SCCM about the concept of uh, professional burnout, and obviously this uh, ABCDEF bundle it involves a lot of additional work from everybody that's taking care of these patients. And I think it's pretty obvious from the data that it's a positive thing for the patients. So I was just curious, what are your thoughts about how the uh, implementation of this bundle affects uh, staff morale and influences burnout? Yeah, so that is a really fantastic question because from the beginning of the collaborative and based on work that many of us had done prior to the collaborative, we know that this bundle was really the concept of the bundle was created because it aligns many things that are already in place in the ICU or that we're being charged to do from we see clinical practice guidelines that are telling us to do multiple different things. And so the idea of the bundle helps to bring those together and to acknowledge that those are interrelated. And from the PAD guidelines, all the the many recommendations there, that they're interrelated, it's difficult to mobilize a deeply sedated patient. So when we think of early mobility, we really need to be thinking of lightning sedation. And so to really bring that to light, that they're interrelated, they're things that are already in the water to some extent in what we're doing, and to help align those so that it's less work or that it makes more sense or it's not compartmentalized. In aligning the processes that we do, it's important that we acknowledge that it aligns the people that are involved in that process, so that interprofessional team. So again, from the very beginning, we laid a foundation in this collaborative that teamwork and collaboration in general, not just specific about this bundle, was vital. And for all of the participants to think that they need to understand what our strengths and weaknesses of their teamwork and understanding that as well as a healthy work environment because we can't put this bundle implementation on top of a really unhealthy environment and expect there to be success when it demands collaboration from multiple team members. So we taught them about, we made sure that various methods of of teaching and in the collaborative had to do with teamwork and collaboration. And we also gave uh, everybody on on entrance at the beginning of the collaborative did teamwork surveys with their staff, looking at teamwork and collaboration and healthy work environment, and were given that information back so that they could see what their strengths and weaknesses were. And then we equipped them with strategies that, hey, if you're weak in this area, here are some teamwork tools, you know, from 
how to do interprofessional rounds, of how to use scripts and rounding, communication tools, a lot of the things and team steps and different projects that we have all been a part of in our safety culture involvement. But pulling that together to say this applies here as well, that this is part of this and is really important to doing um, how to involve families in that, how to involve, equip them and empower them and round at the bedside so they can be called to join us and how to have those conversations and how to how to equip the teams to work together and along the way we've revisited that multiple times at the end of the collaborative we'll resurvey we'll have them resurvey their staff to see how it impacted but I shared yesterday in a presentation that what we found so far in the feedback that we've gotten is staff are more engaged nurses feel empowered to do more our therapists have been feeling left out and we're designing new communication methods because they can't attend the whole time that rounds takes and so how we communicate with them and ask them what's best so that everyone fills in the loop on all the patients and the cares and the strategies and the plans and how to have bedside checklists to help communicate that so really fostering um, healthier work environments how to do that meaningful recognition like the gold medals that I mentioned earlier and how not only there but you know stars of the week and here's how our team's doing and getting our picture in our you know hospital newsletter and getting recognition from our senior administrators to handing out Starbucks cards and, you know, job well done's and way to go. We know you're, you know, that's important to that burnout and staff satisfaction and working together in a team and understanding you're doing something bigger than what you thought you were a part of. And so helping them get that and make those connections and equipping them with a bunch of brainstorm ideas to do that. That sounds really inspiring. It's, it sounds great. And I'm really, really glad that we were able to talk about all of that during today's podcast. Wow, I really wish we could talk more, but we will have to save that for next time. So this concludes another edition of the iCritical Care podcast. For the iCritical Care podcast team, I'm Ludwig Lin. Join or renew your membership with SCCM, the only multi-professional society dedicated exclusively to the advancement of critical care. Speak with a customer service representative or visit www.sccm.org membership for more information. Ludwig Lenn, MD, is an intensivist and anesthesiologist at Summit Altabates Medical Center in the Bay Area in Northern California and is a consulting professor at Stanford University where he teaches a seminar on the psychosocial and economic ramifications of critical illness. Dr. Lin did his medical training, anesthesia residency, and critical care medicine fellowship at the University of California, San Francisco. He has served as faculty at both Stanford University as well as the University of California, San Francisco, where he was a professor and the medical director of critical care at San Francisco General Hospital. He has interests in patient-family communication as well as education. Being a SCCM podcast host reminds Dr. Lin of his undergraduate days as a news broadcaster for his college radio station, KZSU. The iCritical Care podcast is copyrighted material and all rights are reserved. Statements of fact and opinion expressed in this podcast are those of authors and participants and do not imply an opinion on the part of the Society of Critical Care Medicine or its officers or members. To contact the editorial staff of the iCritical Care podcast with questions, comments, or ideas, please email iCriticalCare at sccm.org or info at sccm.org.